Never mind. It's the late leads too long. Okay. Right. Okay. For the visual learners out there, I'm sorry. There's going to be no visuals today. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, this is a real bittersweet um, talk this morning. Um, Beth, myself, Ruben Savannah, we are um, very excited about going back to see family in England, um, especially my mum, who, who is, has Alzheimer's, sadly, which is one of the reasons we're going. Um, but at the same time, we love Africa. Uh, I was born in Zimbabwe. It's in my blood. My father was born in Zimbabwe. We've, we've had association with the continent for over 100 years. So I find it very hard every time I leave the continent. Um, but God is a good God. And for each of us, he has uh, a purpose for our lives. And you've heard me say it before, you know, he doesn't have a specific plan per se, but he has an overall purpose. And sometimes when we sort of meander through life and the different decisions and jobs and places we go, um, we, we wonder, you know, why am I here? What's happening right now, Lord? What's, what's this next chapter? What are you calling me into? Or why did this happen at work? Or why did I lose this friend from cancer? Or what is going on, God? And I think in the moment sometimes, uh, it's very frustrating and very difficult, and we do question God. Uh, but in the sense of our story as a family, all I can say is God is very faithful. And even these last four and a half amazing years in Uganda, uh, we've had probably more trials and more successes than all the years of our lives before. <laughs> and anyone who knows me well, you know, you, you, um, you, you, you do wonder what happened to us. <laughs> In regards to life, you know, we've, we've had um, uh, incredible healings where we've seen God really do some incredible miracles in our midst. Um, we've had a loss. We've, we've lost two people. Two people have died since, uh, in our lives since we've been here. One in my team at school who sadly died and uh, someone else who drowned uh, where we were staying a few years ago. So we've seen incredible tragedy, but at the same time, the tension of wonderful life and, and breakthrough as well. Uh, so I, I, I say that to you right now, because you're like, well, Rory, you don't know my story. You might be sharing your story, and it's all wonderful for you, um, but you don't know my story. But I want to say to you, we all go through these life and death challenges, don't we? But all I can say, 25 years on, a quarter of a century on, is God is a very, very, very faithful God, and you can always trust him. And at times, it's that verse I always say to you, you know, he promises us peace beyond understanding, yet we try to understand it with our Greek minds. We try and say, but God, it's not making sense right now. What, what is going on in this situation? Uh, and I could tell you so many stories. I think one that often comes to mind is we used to live in Zimbabwe before here, and um, I was in my office, and literally the Sunday before, I'd seen God do miracle after miracle. I'd been in the car park just down the road, and I prayed for someone someone's ankle and it had been healed and then the person in the car next door had seen the healing and then he got out of the car and he got healed and then God healed the next person. So the next day I'm sitting in my IT office in Zimbabwe and I have a, a, a Muslim in my office, I have an atheist in my office, I have a Christian in my office and, and everything you can think of and they're all there and this guy presents himself with this very simple, uh, you know, uh, I think stomach issue, whatever it was, I can't remember now, but it was, it was an issue that was obvious to us as a team and I thought, oh, this is so easy with such confidence and almost arrogance of like, let's just pray for you. I'm sure God's going to heal you. And, uh, and we went for it and nothing happened. And I went for it again and nothing happened. And then, I think, and then I went home that day and I was like, God, what is going on? I don't understand this. Yesterday, you were doing all these incredible healings and today, 
Nothing happened. <laughs> and all I can say is, I, I don't know to this day why he didn't break in in that situation. I thought I knew best. I thought God should turn up on my timetable and do something in those people's lives. He chose not to. And it's probably maybe my lack of faith, not their issue, but my issue. Okay, so the story of life uh, does go up and down. Oh, I almost thought it was working there. I was going to give you a hug and a kiss at the end. Um, you could, if, the, if someone has a uh, USB storage, does anyone have a USB pen storage, flash disk? Happen to carry one in their pocket? I know some of you do. If you do, you, you, could, you could copy and then maybe save it. But don't worry, we will survive without the slides. Okay, so I, I really wondered for today, you know, for the last talk, what do we talk about? Um, and I thought, well, you know, you know, I love talking about the Father Heart of God. Um, I love talking about healings. I love the prophetic. I love the Word of God and just unpacking the Word of God. Um, but I really sense that, that God uh, wanted to share from our own lives how to, how to strengthen ourselves and to stay strong in difficulty. And I've called it, if you want to kill giants, follow a giant killer. Let me say that again. If you want to kill giants, follow a giant killer. And this is very much inspired um, by a book uh, uh, from Bill Johnson, who leads Bethel Church in Redding, California. And um, he, he wrote this many years ago, uh, and it's called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. So there's, there's a core element that I've, I've sort of taken from there, but then I've brought my own story into what I'm about to share with you. Okay, so if you think of giant killers, who do you think of the Old Testament? Who's the giant killer? You're not too sure. A bit louder? David, yes, David. Okay. There were, there were others as well, weren't there? Some of David's men went on to become giant killers as well. Okay, so David, who is one of my heroes of the Old Testament, I love him so much. Uh, he, he, to me, he just shows the full spectrum of life. He's remarkable in so many ways. Um, but at the same time, he's a very broken person. And I think the same for us. I love singing these songs this morning. It's all about grace upon grace upon grace. Uh, and that's, that's how we stand in our, in our walk. And I think this morning, if you're sitting there and thinking, well, I don't feel I deserve to even know Christ at the moment, or I feel far from God, I just want to say to you, God's grace is sufficient for whatever is going on in your life. No matter what you did before you walked in this morning, no matter if you, like our family, you had an argument at home. We had a good argument. We're packing up the house. Everyone's very stressed at the moment. Um, you know, no matter what's happened, as you sit here right now, okay, God's grace is over your Life. It doesn't matter how uh, far you feel from him. He is ever so close. So for me, King David towers above all other Old Testament people. He's remembered not so much for the greatness of his actions, but for the greatness of his heart for God. His passionate heart set apart, um, set him apart in God's eyes long before he ever won any of those great military victories, before he revolutionized the nature of worship in Israel, or even ushered in Israel's golden age of economic and spiritual prosperity. While he was in his obscurity, God saw that he was a man that was after his own heart. Okay? So before anything, so even if you're young, even if you're early 20s, okay, like me, then uh, <laughs> add on 20 years and you get there, but what, God's watching from the very beginning. He's looking at your life. He's, he's, his eyes are going back and forward across the world, looking for people who are after his own heart. And maybe, you, you, you know, you just think, well, I'm living a life of obscurity. No one, what, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm not doing any great job or any great difference in this world. God's watching you, okay? And every step counts, all right? Everything you do. And, and David, if you remember, he was in those fields just worshipping God, pouring his life out to God. And God, even at the very beginning, was preparing him for a remarkable life. 
Okay. And we, and we know that this, this heart issue is so important. You know, it says elsewhere in the Bible, you know, it's, it's, it's from the heart that everything comes from. You know, so, so how, you've got to look after your heart. You've got to protect your heart in every way. In Acts 13, 22, it says, And when he had removed him, referring to Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. He will do all my will. So what evidence do we see in the Bible of David's heart after God? Scripture indicates really two primary aspects of David's life before he was anointed king. The first thing we really notice about his life is a life of prayer and a life of worship. A life of prayer and a life of worship. When no one was looking, when nobody was calling prayer meetings or leading revival in Judah, David was pouring out his heart in worship and prayer to God in the fields while he tended his father's sheep. Okay, so you don't need to wait for Sunday to come and worship God. You can worship God in everything you do. You can worship God in the way you go to quality store and love the person in front of you. Yeah? In the way every action, every step, every word, as well as obviously throwing our hands out worshiping God, putting up a worship song, playing guitar, whatever it might be. So while no one was around, his pursuit of God was motivated by nothing but a desire to know God for his own sake. So often when we want something, sorry, 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 so often when we want something from our time with God, how often do we come without an agenda? So the point here is, how often do you turn to God when life is difficult? Yeah? We always do, don't we? When suddenly someone's sick, we start praying for them. All right? When we suddenly lose a job, we start praying for economic for, for, for finances. But how often do we do that? Do we turn to God when everything's wonderful? When life is just bumbling along the way that life should bumble along. Yeah? When the boda turns up on time, you're not praying, come on, I need it now, I need to go and meet someone in town or whatever it might be you're up to. For us recently, we've, we've been bumbling up and down in a very big way. Uh, we've had quite a remarkable couple of weeks, even these last two weeks. So we've had moments where um, we realized that our son had a, a really bad bacterial infection, had to go on heavy antibiotics. Uh, then uh, a week after finishing those two weeks of biotic, uh, antibiotics, he then went and caught typhoid and end up in hospital, uh, and having to sleep at hospital, watching him on, you know, very difficult emotionally. I even call, I'll start crying if I say too much. He's fine now, thank God, and thank for the memorial down here. God's good. Um, but we had left it quite, quite late. I thought, well, that's, that's enough for one week, thank you, God, or two weeks of our lives. Um, so the next minute, we had this wonderful time saying goodbye to some good friends. It was a wonderful evening. It was really nice. Then I woke up and realized we'd been burgled that night. And I was, spent the rest, you know, last, uh, last Sunday uh, all day with the police, pretty much, trying to play Cluedo, working out how the burglar had broken into uh, the house. It wasn't our home, but where we were staying that night. And I remember saying to my wife, Beth, in the evening, I, I said, honey, the house is a tip. We're trying to pack everything up. Work's pretty stressful. Life's pretty stressful. We're all stressed. Saying goodbye to friends. This has happened. This has happened. This has happened. I said, please don't ask me to do anything this evening. Nothing on that to-do list. <laughs> I don't think I can do another thing tonight. And I was saying to God, I was like, God, please, I can't take any more. This is the end of me, which is a good place to be. All right? And I'd love to say, leading into this and through this, I was on my knees worshipping God and praying to him. I'll be totally honest, I wasn't in this season. I, I feel like I haven't even had the capacity to do that. Okay, so I'm not some amazing, you know, often as leaders we stand up here and you think, well, your life is also wonderful and you live such a godly life. 
I don't, I'm a very broken person. And even after all these years, I forget the basics. You know, I was just listening to worship going this morning, getting some, some food for my family and worshiping God. And I was like, why haven't I done this for like ages, you know, for the last week or two? Uh, and I, I think what we learned from David's life is you've got to make sure that you're prepared for these battles that are going to come. You're all going to have battles. Your battles will be different than my battles. Okay, but are you ready? Are you ready for what's coming away? Both the great and the terrible. Okay, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we say sometimes. So we, we need to make sure that we're in a posture of leaning into God, no matter the season we're in. So when these things do come and hit us, it doesn't knock us over completely. Does that make sense? Okay. Right. So I think often when we go to God, it's important not to have an agenda when we do that. And the only thing I can reference into real life with that is, is you know those friends? It, hands up if you ever have a friend that only calls you when they need something. Does anyone have a friend like that? No one else? Oh, like your friends are great over here, okay? Uh, Lambert, I know you're about you. Always, people are always calling you for electricity and stuff, yeah. Okay, so I have a couple of friends. I, I, sometimes I don't hear from them for a year, and then suddenly I hear something. Like, as soon as I see it ringing, I'm like, you want something from me. <laughs> and because I'm I, I generally IT, I know it's IT-related on the whole. All right. So David's relationship was, was all uh, so different with God. And what, what we need to look at when we're looking at David's life in the Old Testament is to understand he was before the cross, he was pioneering something really remarkable. The way he worshipped God really wasn't to be ushered in until the time of Jesus Christ and the cross. But David broke into and pulled something down from heaven that to, his, to the rest of his countrymen wasn't even available. They were going through the ritual of sacrifice for their sins. Okay? And that's what God had mandated to them. But David, had pushed, he, he did that, but he pushed himself beyond that. So much so that he didn't care what people thought. And years later, when he was king, do you remember his wife was embarrassed when he's worshipping God? Yeah, when he's in Jerusalem and they're bringing the ark back in and he's there and his wife's like, you embarrass me. And he's like, I'll, I'll be even more embarrassing than this because he was semi-naked in that moment. Okay, it's just completely abandoned to worshipping and loving the Father. Okay, so his heart ultimately led him uh, beyond the letter of the law to the heart of the Lord himself. And the same for us with the word of God. If, if the word of God is not leading us into an encounter with God, something is not right with our lives. Yes, the Word of God is a plumb line, it's a foundation for our lives, okay, but if it's not leading us into the very presence of God, our Father, then something is not correct. What do I mean by that? I mean this, and don't mishear me, the Bible is very important. You should read the Bible, you should know the Bible, you should understand the Bible, you should unpack, you should meditate, you should percolate on the Bible and the Scripture, you should memorize Scripture. That's all very important day in, day out. But at the same time, if that's just a ritual, if that's just a dry exercise that doesn't lead you into the presence and encounter with God, then something is not correct. Okay, something's gone wrong. There's a disconnect between the two. All right, so I think at times for me, what I found is when life is difficult, like this last month, I can rest, I know God is faithful. I can look at scripture and, and God you know, says, now I've got plans for your life. I've got a future and a purpose for you, Rory. Okay, I can look at that. I know that God loves me, no matter the circumstances that I'm in. I know I have an eternal hope in heaven in the future, even if right now things are terrible. Okay, my mum's very sick, and all these things are happening. But God's a good God, so I can lean on the Bible there. But at the same time, when I push into God's presence, like walking this morning to get breakfast, if I can't then enjoy the presence because of the truth of the scripture that I've read, then the, something's blocking it, something's wrong. And maybe, you know, it could be I'm offended with God. Maybe I feel he's let me down somehow. 
Yeah? I could choose to take offense. Say, well, my mum is dying in a sense. She, she's losing her memory. But God's good. I know he's good. Okay? So I can still get into his presence and choose not to be offended. The key is this. You know, we all talk about how we get offended by each other and by life. But that's because you're making a choice to be offended. Okay? When someone offends me, if Monica offends, she never has, but let's say she did. Let's say we walk after and say, Rory, that's the worst preach you ever gave in your life and it was your last one and that's how I'm going to remember you. <laughs> she wouldn't say that. But so, just a silly example. I could choose to be totally offended by that or I could choose to walk away from that offense and just say, right, I, God, I just, you know, I forgive Monica and I forget what she said. I love her as a sister in Christ. God, go back to God. Was that the worst preach I've ever done? <laughs> Go to God and ask him what he's saying. Choose not to be offended because there's too many people walking around who are offended and hurt. I, I see them everywhere. And hurt people hurt people, don't they? Yeah, you, you see it. And you see it so often with leaders because when people step up to leadership, suddenly their weaknesses and the cracks of their life become evident for all. I see this in the way I lead my team at school. It brings out the very worst of me because suddenly there's pressure on me. And how do I respond? And when I make a poor choice, it impacts my whole team. And the more senior you become, I see it, you know, leaders of countries. You see it, I won't mention any names of countries in leadership. I come from Zimbabwe. I'll use Mugabe. He's dead now. So Mugabe, you know, started so well. And we'll see someone else like this in a second. Started so well in Zimbabwe. And I used to go, I used to travel back and see family and friends and go through these amazing farms and, and, and see everyone growing economically in so many good ways. Okay. But then it collapsed. His character failed him. Yeah, God hadn't prepared him for that position. He was a hurt person who not only hurt individuals, but he hurt an entire nation. And we're still paying for that today. Does that make sense? And it's so easy, and I say this as well, to be gracious on your leaders. It's not easy to lead. Yeah, it's easy to judge. We're so judgmental. Oh, I could do a better job than that. You know, I could do far better than that. Maybe you could. Maybe listening to what I could preach far better than You probably could, okay? But the, the, the challenge is to be gracious on those that lead you. But as well as that, don't try and hurry God. History is never kind to those who try to hurry it. So don't try and rush through to get to where you want. Because if you do, you will fall down. Okay? Gifting might get you. Character will keep you in place. Gifting might get you. Character will keep you in place. So first, you know, worship and, and pray to God. Right? Secondly, what we realized with David is that he completely relied on God. Completely and totally and utterly relied on him. Okay? And there's examples of David relying on him. You know, where there's battle, where he battles against the lion and the bear. All right? And in those moments, it revealed his heart for God because he had to rely on God for victory. And that trust indicates that, God's, that sorry, David's heart for the Lord was not something that changed according to circumstances. In 1 Samuel 17, 37, it says this, He had integrity of heart, he had integrity of heart. And we see this as he comes before Goliath. David says this in 1 Samuel 17, 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. All right, so he completely and utterly relies on him, and he's been prepared in the place of obscurity. All right? And then suddenly he gets this opportunity uh, to slay Goliath. And, and so it had come after all these years of experience, but yet he's still very young. So what else can we learn 
from God with David's life? Well, I think the main thing is that it took years and years of preparation for David to become the king that he became. All right? Um, God's not bring the man after his heart straight from the pasture to the palace, so to speak. All right? Incredibly, it was another 10 to 13 years after Samuel had first anointed him to be king. And in those years, David endured more difficulty, persecution, and rejection than many of us face in a lifetime. He probably thought it would be quicker than that. And the same for us. You know, we think things can happen. For me, when I was not a Christian and I was a teenager, I went to visit a church. In fact, it's a church we're going back to in the UK. All right? And I was about, I must have been about 15 or 16. I was at boarding school in the Channel Islands in Guernsey. And uh, I went there because um, some friends of mine, I think even my brother or someone had taken me to that church. And someone at the end of the service came up and prayed to me. And he said, um, not knowing me at all, said, uh, I see you in a country that has large waterfalls. I see you in, in savannas, and I think it's Africa. I see you in Africa. I see you praying for the sick, and I see people being healed. And there's some other stuff. But he finished there at the end of that. And I listened to him, and I was like, no. <laughs> well, yes, okay. I thought, you obviously know Zimbabwe for what it is. You know about Africa. You don't know me, okay. And he was almost more, I think he was early, the first time he even given a prophetic word, he was surprised about how, reson- you know, how it resonated with my life in one sense. But at that point, as a teenager, I didn't really want to follow God. I did in like a tokenistic sense. I didn't plan on going to Africa to be involved in any sort of ministry at all. I had no interest. If I was going to go to Africa, I was going to go in my backpack and see friends and family and just enjoy life as an expatriate and, and not serve God in any way at all. But that haunted me in such a good way. And as the years went by, okay, because that was, I'm going to age myself, 30, almost 30 years ago. And as the years went by and, and I became a Christian and all these things, and Beth and I got married and we thought, yes, we're going to go to Africa one day and maybe Southern Africa and all these bits and pieces, and it didn't happen. The doors kept on closing for us. And I was like, but God, you've promised this since I was a teenager, and door after door would not open. But what's happening, God? And it took a decade, and then suddenly, I haven't got time this morning, the door opened for us. It was a miracle the way it happened. Beth had dreams, all these bits and pieces of God just really showing. We even had a guy at a service who literally pulled us out and said, God is calling you to Zimbabwe. The door is just open today. He didn't know he'd been offered a job that day. This is the right time. This is the season. Here you go. And I'd love to say that it was all wonderful and easy after that. But it wasn't because we went and it was amazing in so many ways. But four years later, God told us, you're leaving Zimbabwe. And we were like, what? I've waited. We, we've waited a day. I've waited 20 years. My wife's waited 10 years. I'm more patient than my wife. I've waited 20 years. It's not true. Okay. Um, and you want us to now leave Zimbabwe? And uh, God has a sense of humor in so many ways because as we left Zimbabwe, I remembered someone called Isabel Turner, who some of you might know, who was part of the, the plant of this KIC originally, I think, with, with some others. And she said when we left Zimbabwe, Rory and Beth, you should be going to Uganda. I said, I'm never going to go to Uganda. I'm sure it's a wonderful country, but I'm go- we are going to Zimbabwe. <laughs> and I'd love to say that from Zimbabwe, and then we ended up straight in Uganda. But as you know, if you know us, we didn't. We ended up in Ukraine, of all places, <laughs> in Ukraine. And again, it's, it's so many stories, I couldn't unpack it all for you. But I just want to share it to encourage you. So we end up in Ukraine, 
And um, after a few months, life gets quite difficult. I, I'm not, I've got no passion for the country. They're amazing people, but I've got no call for it. I feel like I'm in the wrong country, on the wrong continent, in the wrong weather, and I'm not happy, okay? And, and, and for Beth, life's difficult. She can't speak the language. They are very friendly, but not on the surface, a bit like British people, okay? But add in a bit of Ukrainian and Russian to mix, all right? So we have some pretty bad experiences, all right? So much so that, that I, you know, we're questioning what is going on. Do we just need to pack up and go back to England and that's it, we just give up? You know, and, and I, I can promise you it was days and hours and weeks and whatever of being on my, my knees in the morning, crying out to God, what are you doing? I do not get this. You called us to Africa. You called us to Zimbabwe and we were there. Now you've taken us out and now we're here and I can see no future and no next step. But God was doing remarkable things. And one of the things that happened there, and there's many things we could say, but one of the things that God did um, was that uh, using, me- uh, from the medical side of things, because uh, we get private health, which is a real blessing, and I don't take it for granted, they picked up a situation with all its details that potentially saved her life that if we were in the UK or Zimbabwe, other places would possibly not have been found. So whatever situation you're in, you've got to trust that God has a plan for your life, that he has put you right here today for such a time as this. It's not an accident you're sitting here this morning, okay? And maybe you're going to be here for a day. Maybe you're going to be in Uganda for a week. Maybe you're going to be here for 10 years. Maybe you're going to be here for your whole life. Or maybe next week you're off to the Congo or South Africa or America or wherever it is. But trust that God has you in the right place for the right season, yeah? And engage and live and believe and have faith and don't take offense. Does that resonate? I hope. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Right. Now, in contrast, from David, we have Saul, all right? Now, Saul, okay, the previous king, had no difficulty in becoming king. He was crowned very shortly after being anointed by Samuel. But God did not want another king, Saul, to be on the throne. While Saul, at the time, was true to the very best that Israel had, okay, so when the Israelites cried out, we need a king now, and God says, you don't need a king, and the Israelites say, we need a king. Okay, here's your king. That was the best person in the country. Okay, he wasn't a bad egg. He would have been the best out of us, whoever the best, would have been the best of the best to be a leader, all right? And it starts well, but he's not been prepared. He's not been tested. He hasn't got the character, all right? So as King Saul was entrusted with a measure of anointing to lead the armies of Israel to, to victory and to shepherd the people, yet without the strength of character that only comes by winning private battles, these public victories expose the previous hidden weakness of Saul's heart towards God. All right, so he, he, he took the favor of God to look for the favor of man. And if you live for the praises of men and women, you will be stung by the criticisms of men and women. If you're looking for the favor of men and women, you'll be stung by it, all right? So when life hurts, and I've had this before, when life is difficult, I have to look at it and think, it's because I'm looking for the praise of the person and not the praise of the king, yeah? I'm looking for the praise of the person. So live a life with the audience of one and say, God, well, what do you think? Forget what everyone else thinks. What do you think, all right? So this weakness in Saul, combined with his growing appetite for the favor of man, led him to bring glory to himself and disobey God. So, one second. I need some water, sorry. (laughs) 
Now, I had this, um, I thought actually the friend was going to come this morning, so she, she got caught up in traffic, but I've got a very good friend in my office at the moment, and uh, she has no fear of man whatsoever. So she'll put praise and worship songs on in her office at times, and I, and I say to her, I say, that's good, but we're in a secular school, and sharing about our faith too much gets us into a lot of trouble very quickly. We have to be quite discreet. And I walked away one day from, from that conversation, and then I got, God said to me, he said, well, uh, are you just being practical because you think you're trying to, you know, be clever about the way you're living your life, or have you got the fear of man in you, Rory? Uh, and I had to admit, oh God, no, I've got the fear of man. Um, so encouragingly, a couple of years later, God used that as a catalyst that during the pandemic, I started to lean on God a bit more and rely on him because the, the world was falling apart, wasn't it, a bit? And so much so, I had the worship song on and I was, I, I was sharing it with a good Christian friend that another teacher walked in at the time and then joked with me and said, oh, Rory, if I share that with the head of school, you could be fired. I was like, ooh. And then I was like, I didn't say this, but I was like, I don't care. I'm living for the audience of one. <laughs> so God took me on a journey, but maybe the fear of man is something that's holding you back. So my question for you is, if you had no fear of man or woman, what would you do? What's holding you back right now? Because you are worried what others think. Okay. So Saul's untested heart allowed that which was given to make him successful, the favor, to ultimately destroy him. So if you allow the favor of man and woman to build you up, the risk is it will bring you down ever so quickly. So do not rush. Now David, even though he already possessed a heart for the Lord, he was led into years of further testing that groomed him to handle the glory and responsibility of the throne. I think so often with leaders that don't get the opportunity, like I was saying earlier, to, to choose this time of testing, we see them fall in all areas of life. But we see with David, uh, if we have a look, quick look at the summary of his life, we know him at the very beginning. He has this great success. He kills the giant. The giant dies, okay? He's brought into the palace ever so quickly. He marries the daughter of the king. Things are good until the people start singing. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands, okay? And so his, his jealousy, Saul's jealousy, suddenly drives David away from the palace, okay? He thought very quickly, oh, here we go, it's done. I was anointed as king and now I'm king. Now, for you and for me, I think the lesson here is sometimes we'll get a sudden breakthrough in favor and you think, like we did in Zimbabwe, and then God will drive you away from it. And you're going this way. Like, God, what's going on? Okay, I just want to say that there'll be a time when God will bring you back to where you know you've been called to be. Does that make sense? But the challenge here is not to turn your back on God and keep your back turned on him when you come back. You've got to turn and ensure you're not offended by God. So my next question is, do you have any offense in your heart towards God right now? Is there any area where he's let you down? Maybe your marriage has broken down. Maybe there's a sickness of someone who died, okay? Choose not to take offense. Choose not to be consumed by jealousy like Saul. And this leads into the other thing I so often talk about, the father heart of God, all right? And I'd be wrong of me not to say it one final time before we leave, okay? Right now, you sit here, God looks at you, you are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Doesn't matter what you've done, he cherishes you, he values you right now. His favor is on your life. And if you can get secure in that, you can live a life of remarkable destiny. 
And if you can't, it's going to show up in all different ways. And for me recently, one of the things that's happened as I leave ISU is to try and bring through someone behind you to take over your role, okay? And uh, Brian won't mind me mentioning his name. Brian, Brian is my colleague. He's taking over my position. He's a Ugandan, which is excellent. He's going to be the IT director of ISU, the first ever Ugandan IT director at the school. Okay, he deserves it thoroughly. Um, but it's been a journey. And um, I remember when I, when I found him a few years ago, uh, I asked a friend, can you tell me who the best of the best is with these skills in Kampala? And we're fortunate as a school, we can pay reasonably well. So we, we paid him, we, we stole him from somewhere else, brought him into ISU. And I asked him in the first six months, Brian, that's why I said, ask all my guys, where would you like to be in five years in your life with your career and everything else? He looked me straight in the eye. He said, Rory, I would like to have your job. <laughs> that's quite disconcerting when you're sitting in your job. I promise you, it's quite disconcerting. So that was, I thought, oh, I was taken aback. But it was an amazing statement. And then uh, a, a year or two later, we had a new head of school. And um, he sat down. And without me even raising it with him, but thinking about how do we get Brian into my job, he's like, I really like Brian. I think he could do your job one day. But again, I thought, that could be quite disconcerting. Are you saying I'm doing a bad job, and you want me out the door, and you're like Brian in? Because if so, I can walk off and be offended. Okay. Um, so even, even after all these years of preaching into the Father heart, you know, even I have to contend with that. You know, I sit with God, okay, is that because you think I'm doing a bad job, God? Yeah? Should I take offense because this person wants my job? No. I want you to invest in this person. And our, our challenge is that those who are behind us, is we make sure that they build, uh, that the ceilings of our lives is the floor of their own. Does that make sense? So the ceiling, as far as I can push the IT team and everything I do with my team, Brian's job is to stand on my ceiling and to take it further. And to, like a mentor, to Say, here you go, and push them in front of you. And not be offended and think, oh gosh, they're even doing a better job, and I'm sure he will, better job than me. Okay? So where is it in your life? Who are you mentoring? Who are you bringing through? Who's behind you when you look over your shoulder? You might say, well, I'm not leading. You are leading. We're all leading in some way. You have influence over someone. Who is it? And how can you take their hands, and how can you bring them through and ensure that they build the floor of their lives on the ceiling of yours? And it's so important that you're Father, your, your security and identity is in Christ, not from performance, but by the grace of God. Okay? Are we okay? Ten more? I'm looking at Monica. She's my timekeeper. Right, we'll finish at half past. Okay. All right. So Saul's rejection of David, okay, was the first time that David's schooling for the kingship was based on testing his ability to believe and walk in the word over his life even when the circumstances seem to completely oppose and deny his destiny. So do not, the point here is don't build your theology on the circumstances of life. Does that make sense? The truth of Scripture is the truth of Scripture. If you're not seeing the connection with your life, then the issue isn't the Scripture. The issue is the way you're, that you're engaging with that and trying to bring that reality and saying, well, God, you promised this. I can see it in Scripture, but I'm not seeing the reality of it. Okay, so when I see sickness, I think, well, the kingdom of God, there's no sickness. And it's the tension of the kingdom now, not quite yet, but I want to bring the kingdom in front of me. So I'm just going to faithfully pray for everyone who's sick who comes across my path. And, okay, maybe only 10% get healed. But if I pray for 100 people, 10 get healed. If I pray for none and take offense, then no one gets healed. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we have to keep our heart on, keep our hearts open, trust Scripture, stand on the truth of Scripture, okay, not build our theology on the experiences of life. Otherwise, it'd be like James says, life will be like 
this. Okay. So, what's really fascinating, I'm going to finish by focusing on this last bit, with David's life, I find, is if we zoom in on that time when um, his band of followers, and I had a great picture, and I'm sorry, I can't show it, I'll, I'll send it on the website. Okay, his band of followers, his, his mighty men that became giant killers themselves, at one point turned on David. All right? And what he does in that moment and how he strengthens himself is incredible, all right? So, um, let me just get down to here. here you if you remember, uh, David and his men are fighting uh, for the enemies of Israel, all right? And one day, uh, these enemies of Israel, up to this point, he hasn't actually felt, been fighting the Israelites themselves. He's been fighting other enemies of these guys. Uh, he goes out uh, with his men, and when he gets out for the, for the battle with Israel, the prince's of, of the enemies of Israel say, well, we don't want David because he might turn on us and he might fight against us. We can't trust him. Okay, so he gets rejected by the enemies of Israel. And um, when he gets back to his, his hometown of, uh, at the time of Ziklag, I think that's how you say it, he finds that the town is burnt and the wives and children have been taken and everything is destroyed and everything is gone. And at that point, his, his men turn on him and they want to stone him and they want to kill him. Now, you know you're having a bad day when you've been rejected by the king, you've been rejected by the Israelites, you've even been rejected by their enemies, okay? And now you're rejected by your followers. And, and so often this is what we do. When someone does something wrong, we say, well, get rid of them. Get rid of the person at the top, okay? But in David's life here, it's a bigger injustice, because it, it says this in 1 Samuel 36, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. So without question, I think I would feel greatly distressed too if my life is threatened by my closest friends. But how does David respond in this moment? And I want to finish with this. It says in 1 Samuel 36, later on that verse, But David strengthened himself so, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So facing this volatile group of men, ready to stone him, caused him to look to himself for strength, not to look to himself, but to look to God for his strength. His faith gave him the courage to say, come on guys, we've got wives and kids to bring back. And amazingly, as he gives them vision and purpose for their lives again, and reminds them what they've been called to, okay, it, it kicks them back into the way it should be going, yeah? They have purpose and vision, off they go, they run after them, they get their wives, they get their children, and all their fortunes are restored. So God gave him the strength to master his own distress, look past the offence of his men's rejection, and rally them together to get their families back. You see, David's personal breakthrough in this moment, his ability to strengthen himself and be faithful to his purpose, instead of collapsing under pressure not only saved his life, it also enabled him to lead his men to victory. So the very battle the Philistines had then prevented him from fighting in was the very battle where King Saul and Jonathan were then killed. So suddenly, David's darkest moment, when life seemed like everything had gone wrong, he'd been driven from the palace, out for a, over a decade in the wilderness. Everyone had turned on him. And it looked like it was the end of his life, and he strengthens himself in God. That's the moment he's led to the throne. 
And I want to encourage you, if you're in a dark place, persevere. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Worship him with all your heart. I promise you, breakthrough suddenly comes. And I haven't got time this morning. I could tell you a thousand stories of where God has suddenly broken through for us, where life has looked awful. And I'll give you three headers to highlight this to you. Okay? In Ukraine, we had a point where literally everything had fallen apart on every level I could think of. Then in Uganda, the battles got bigger. Now it's dealing with people dying. I had one person in my life commit suicide in my own team. I cannot tell you anything more painful than someone that's a friend take their life in front of you. I was like, how do you get through this? And then at the same time, then I had Savannah on emergency evacuation to Cape Town. Then a month later, we had the pandemic hit. And then we had the drowning in the pool. It's not all necessarily the correct order, but all these things, and even these last two weeks, I'd love to say it's easy now. It's not. It's really difficult, okay? But God is a gracious God. And suddenly, you know, often they say the dogs of doom are often in the way of um, your destiny. The dogs of doom stand in your way of destiny. So if things are difficult, I want to pray for you in two minutes. And I'm going to pray for breakthrough for your life. I've seen breakthrough in our lives. I have faith, if you don't, for breakthrough in your life. Whether it's financial or physical, um, whatever it is. But above all, let me finish with these points. Worship and pray to God like King David did. Rely totally on God. God's timeline is different to your own. Don't take offence and remember to never lose purpose and vision for your life. Let's pray. Should we stand up? Let's pray. Right. Yeah, Father, I just... Thank you so much for this wonderful church. We thank you for the remarkable four and a half years you've given us with these wonderful people. Jesus, I thank you for every soul that's here. Even those that weren't here all those years ago and have joined in the years since, or even in the, in the months, or even the days, or even if today is their first day in this church. Father God, I thank you for every person. I thank you that you have a future and a destiny for each of these people, Father God. I thank you that you have a purpose for their lives. And whether right now they feel that they're in the right season, everything's wonderful, then we celebrate with them, Father. But for those that feel that things just aren't quite the way that they thought they would be, or they're not quite where they thought their career should be, or the job hasn't quite come through, or they, they want to be married but they're not married, or whether they've lost someone who was sick and, and they thought, why weren't they healed and they died, or whether they're sick now and they're struggling in faith, that God will come through for them, Father God. I pray, Holy Spirit, just come and meet them right now where they are. Father God, just come and meet them in a powerful, intimate, personal way, Lord Jesus. And Father, I, I pray for this nation of Uganda. I thank you for people such as this this morning, Father God. I thank you across this nation, you have remarkable people of faith that have a vision and a, and a, and a, a purpose and a destiny uh, in the play of how things are going to pan out in this wonderful nation. I thank you for the prophetic word as we're praying before the service, the prophetic word of, of Churchill, who wasn't even a Christian, saying it's the pearl of Africa, Lord God. We believe this is the pearl of Africa, Father. I believe truly that one day people will look at Uganda and say, how do they do what they do? Why is it they have such great success in agriculture or education or business or government? 
Father God. I pray that, uh, Lord Jesus, that nations even like Rwanda, where we see elements of that, but it's driven by fear, that it be driven by grace in this land, that it be a democratic country, Father God, where every citizen is valued and cherished, Father God. I thank you for the provision of rain and crops and the greenery and the beauty and the lakes, Father God, just all the blessings that you've poured into this nation, Lord Jesus. We pray that in the months and the years and the decades ahead, Father, that we will see just remarkable breakthrough. I pray your kingdom will be released across this nation, Father God. So I pray for every sphere of society represented in this room right now, Father God. I pray for the teachers. I'm passionate because I'm a teacher as well. I just thank you for the educators. Whether it's educating children on the streets, which I know some do here, through to those that are educating the ambassadors of this nation. They all have influence on them, Father. Give them all the wisdom they need. I pray that they will impart a sense of faith into the children of the next generation, Father God, that the next generation, as we said earlier, will build the floor of their feet on the ceilings of our own lives. Father, I pray for those in business, the entrepreneurs. Give them courage. Give them favor. I pray for financial breakthrough. I pray for funding. I pray for God-given just destiny meetings in unusual places, Father God. I, I, I pray that, I just pray, I believe actually, I just see it now that you guys, you will bump into people and you'll be surprised by the breakthroughs and the opportunities that come. Not that I'm preaching a prosperity gospel at all, but I don't believe in a God of poverty. It's a God of unlimited resources that will cover the basis for you and will bring the dreams that he first gave you into fruition. You have a responsibility for those dreams to come into action. You can't say, well, God, my dream's not coming true. God will say to you, well, what are you doing about it? So, Father, I pray for courage for the entrepreneurs. Father, I pray for the health workers. I thank you for the way they've looked after us through the pandemic, both here and across the nations of the world. Father, I thank you. You use medicine. You do miracles, but you use medicine. Father, and I pray that uh, for each of those, especially those in mild may, in nursing and other hospitals, Father God, I pray for incredible influence. I pray in the years and the decades to come, we will look back and there'll be professors and leaders and researchers and influencing not just this nation, but the medical field out in the world beyond. Father God, I pray such diseases as Ebola, they will find the keys, Father God, that will bring freedom and healing to this nation and the nations across the world, Father God. I thank you. Jesus, for every other sphere, I'm going to pause there because I'll go on forever, but thank you for everyone who's represented, Lord God. And we just, I pray for every experience that me, Beth, Ruben, Savannah have gone through, the sacrifice that we've made, we impart those experiences and pray but by your grace that these guys don't have to go through some of those things, but you, just by your favor and your grace, that you carry them through those seasons and you strengthen them beyond their own understanding, Father God, that they have faith for everything that comes their way. So may your grace and your peace and your joy and your kingdom rest on this church, the churches of this nation, this continent and this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.